BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome in, everybody. It is the latest installment of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. I'm the somewhat competent host, TJ Reeves. Lots of football appears to be on the horizon. We're going to talk a lot about it here on the program today. Not to say that that's the only thing that we're going to talk about, but we're here for you, even through the summer months, almost to the football season, talking about whatever's going on, sports media news, takes, opinions, all of the above. I got a couple of special guests that are going to join me. One of them is my Tampa Bay brother, displaced from another mother. Mm He's all about creamsicle buccaneers. Mark Ennis will be here in just a moment from Louisville, Kentucky's ESPN station, where he is the godfather of sports talk in Louisville, Kentucky. Mark with me in a few moments. Uh, look forward to hearing with uh, what he has to say on a couple of different subjects. Stand by for that. Again, thank you for however you found us. Social media link through lastwordonsports.com. Make sure you're following, subscribing to this podcast feed. You get great content on the feed, not just this show midweek, But immediately before us, you can hear George Offman's podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, usually a Chicago tinge to the sports media interviews he does, sports radio personalities, TV personalities. But like last week, he had Brett Bielema, the Illinois football coach, talking to him about the Illinois football season. Again, George's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is right here on this podcast feed, the last word on sports media podcast feed. And then Mike Gill, Phil DeMott, Mullen, come your way, the announcer schedules podcast. Who's doing it well? At the national level, TV and radio, announcer schedules the podcast, not just the Twitter handle, right here on this podcast feed. With all the promoing out of the way, here he is, B-U-C-C-A-N-E-E-R-S, Go Bucks brother, Mark Ennis from ESPN Radio in Louisville, ESPN Louisville's finest. The afternoon show is The Drive with Mark Ennis. Uh, Always great to be with you. I don't know how we didn't get together on Creamsicle Day, which was Monday in the Tampa Bay area. It was declared, Mark Ennis, if you are not aware of this, my friend, welcome, first of all, good to have you. It was declared Creamsicle Day on Monday, the Buccaneer Proclamation signed by the Mayor Jane Castor. We should have been doing this interview yesterday because I know you have great fondness for the Buccaneers wearing the orange uniforms, the days of Doug Williams, the late Leroy Selman, James Wilder, Jimmy Giles. It was creamsicle day on Monday. How are you feeling? I, uh, it's just, it is a shame that we missed it, that we, we commiserate over that. Unfortunately, probably more uh, bad memories than good in the old uh, creamsicle. But, you know, I can remember uh, being there with my my best friend, Phil. Vernon Turner runs the first punt back in the old creamsicle uniforms. You know, That's exactly like that. right. I mean, I I still have a lot of really good memories. I remember that with two, with two years removed from the Bears being a Super Bowl champ and beating them 42 to 35. 
uh, with Vinny, probably one of his better games. That is still, you just jogged a memory, that is 1988 or 89, one of those years we'd have to look. That is still the only time, I do know this, that an entire unit has been named Player of the Week. The entire <laughs> Buccaneer offense was named yeah. Offensive Player of the Week for the, the NFC for that week that went over the Bears. 42 points scored, two 100-yard receivers in the game yep. and a 100-yard rusher in the game with 42 points against the Big Bad Bears. There were some memories here and there that were worthwhile in the cream circle. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I mean, the very first game I ever went to was the Bucks on Monday night against Detroit. That was not a pleasant one, but it's, I do still have plenty of very, very good memories. of uh, the, I can, I'll tell you a good story about living somewhere where there's a real winter now. Uh, the I, I forget the year now. They played Pittsburgh the last week of the regular season. It was the year of the rolling brownouts, right? In Tampa, and it was bitterly cold. The Bucks get blitzed in the first half by Pittsburgh. Bubby Brister in Pittsburgh. I remember. And my I, my dad, uh, you know, had battled type one diabetes and, and health issues his whole life. He just looks at me at halftime and goes. We're going home. <laughs> he, he couldn't take it. It was too cold. He just could not take it. We're going. The home. Buccaneers are getting killed. <laughs> it's freezing cold. We're leaving. There's no. Yep. There's nothing to play for. It's the last game of the season. Uh, I'm. Yep. I'm with you on that. I love. I love the nostalgia. Uh, I love you for a lot of reasons, but uh, the Buccaneer nostalgia, I had to get that at, at the forefront. While I have you here, are you on board yeah. with Baker Mayfield, uh, Kyle Trask in competition, the former Florida Gator? It is still a competition right now with Trask slated to start the second preseason game against the Jets. The Bucks, by the way, practicing with the Jets midweek will be part of the max. I got to keep getting used to not calling it HBO. What did Me they too. do, Mark Ennis, with my HBO? It's now just Max instead of uh -huh. Home Box Office. But Max will show the Hard Knocks episodes, and it will be next week's episode that will have the Buccaneers practicing with the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 and Aaron Rodgers, and then playing in the game. So we, we have sort of a quarterback comment. Thoughts on Baker Mayfield? Does he eventually take the reins here? What's your take? Yeah, I, I think I, I, would, I wish he was head and shoulders better already. But he does look like he's starting to separate himself at least a little bit. Uh, I was hoping that he would just be overachiever. I realized this is kind of my last chance to really solidify myself as a starter somewhere, you know, that sort of thing. He doesn't have the long-term patience view uh, that you might have with Kyle Trask. But I am glad someone seems to be sort of pulling ahead because the worst thing is a quarterback battle where no one seems to be making any progress progress against the other guy. But no one's winning, right? Because <laughs> no, your team stinks if no one's winning that battle. He does What's at least the... see me winning. What's the cliche phrase? If you have two quarterbacks, you have, none. You have no, you have no quarterback uh, and Baker Mayfield. All right. So bring, bring it back to sports media. Uh, this just into the newsroom. He's been everywhere for the first few years of his career, TV commercials, interview yeah. opportunities nationally. Is it maybe not a good thing that you fly a little under the radar with a team that has a, has a not so good expectation. Most pundits believe it could be a bad year in Tampa Bay. This might not be a bad thing on a prove it contract for Baker Mayfield. Who's been a very public former number one quarterback, number one pick, former Heisman Trophy winner to kind of fly low under the radar media-wise. Yeah, I don't – look, I could be wrong. I could be superstitious or this could just be like an idiotic idea. But I've never loved when the quarterback, especially in the NFL, is somebody who seems to be kind of primarily fueled by doubters and haters and stuff like that. It just doesn't seem like the really great ones talk about any of that stuff. And he does a lot. And so I've always wondered if, it, if he's a, just a bit immature for just the life of a, a successful NFL quarterback. And so the idea of him sort of being maybe a little bit off the 
off the main stage and you know out of the limelight a little bit, not really having that give and take negativity like that, it might benefit him just to sort of have it to where he, he doesn't have doubters because no one doubts or everyone doubts the whole team. That's you know, true. Maybe you 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 tap into something a little different, and it'll be a little bit of a test of his maturity, which I think is the biggest question about him, is sort of how maybe he handles his job on a team that maybe isn't great as a team. Always love Mark Ennis's insight. Uh, you can follow him at Mark Ennis on social media. ESPN Louisville is where you find him. The Drive is the afternoon show. Again, does a fantastic job on all subjects. Okay, you got to be proud of me that I did not begin the first few minutes of this conversation with the potential implosion of the ACC, of which Louisville is a member. As we sit here right now, with all the television money being thrown around every which direction, there is obviously discontent, disharmony, and any other dis right now from some of the ACC schools. What do you make of this? How much trouble is the ACC in do you think it's still on solid footing long-term as a conference that Louisville belongs to? It's impo- it, it, No, it is not on solid footing long-term. And I think Florida State really uh, publicly, I think, kind of took a step that you can't take back. You know, it's uh, just to, to be off call. It's a, sort of like asking to be in an open marriage or something. It's like they really asked uh, <laughs> and announced, really, you know, we intend to sort of look around and, and get somewhere else that makes us feel more competitive. Uh, because, look, there are fundamentals about the ACC you simply cannot change. Uh, and I think Florida State realizes that now. But like, nothing's going to make Wake Forest and Boston College uh, and Virginia these massive media uh, properties that, that demand the same amount of money that so many of the programs in the Big Ten and the SEC do. Now, could the ACC do more and have Miami? When, when, the ACC, when they joined the ACC, when the ACC added Miami, people thought they're two years removed from a national championship. This is one of the great programs in the country. They've been dogs for two decades. Correct. Uh, now, you know, Virginia Tech needs to get its act back together for what they were for all of the basically the 90s and the early 2000s. The same goes for uh, for Louisville. Louisville's got to get closer to sort of what they were under Bobby Petrino and Charlie Strong. Uh, it could be better. But I think Florida State announcing basically, like, we're not okay with this and we won't stay. Uh, and, and going so far as to sort of have sourced uh, rumors that they, they would seek private equity money just to get out of the <laughs> ACC. I mean, those are not the things. It doesn't motivate anyone to want to work with them within the ACC either. And so, no, this is a this really is when, not if, in terms of them leaving. The problem for, for Florida State is they can announce these intentions. They can announce these desires. They can say what they want to do, what they feel like they're entitled to. Someone has to want to give it to them. Right. And at this point, we're watching TV money dry up quite a bit. Uh, the idea that there's just more bank breaking to be done out there with, in ESPN's case, they've already got the state of Florida. Uh, and in the Big Ten's case, they've added, they're up to 18 teams. They are adding teams at a discount and that sort of thing. I think the biggest problem for Florida State, there's no one to invite them to move. Right. And isn't it a valid point, too, all of what you said is on the money, isn't it a valid point, too, that ESPN controls the ACC and the SEC? Why are they going to allow Florida State willingly to move into a Southeastern Conference where their money gets to go up and it contributes to the implosion of something else that we already have, ESPN, with an ACC relationship and ACC network? Why would ESPN, I'm just saying, not that you have to have the answer, but I'm saying it to the audience too. Why would they allow that? Any thought Any thought on that? No, I, I think it's a valid point. I think Florida State folks just enjoy listening to themselves kind of just bluster over this. But it is true. 
in, in the case of the ESPN, they own the entire SEC and SEC network and the ACC and the ACC network. And what you would be doing if you were to move Florida State from the ACC to the SEC is just moving this money from your right pocket to your left pocket. It's already yours. You already got it. The idea that they would pay more to just have Florida State still uh, doesn't make an ounce of sense. And that really kind of goes for Clemson and South Carolina, too. Uh, and that's, I think, the biggest problem is that there really isn't a place where they fit and fill a need uh, that is in the market to break the bank for them. Uh, it, at, right at the, the end of the sort of the cable boom ending, I don't think we know what the next generation of media rights deals is going to look like until people figure out how to actually turn a profit with streaming. So we haven't gotten there yet. And by the way, the Pac-12 is the classic example because they turned down a lucrative offer. It's now out there yeah. and obvious from ESPN, $30 million a school. And now they basically aren't going to have a conference after they turned it down because they didn't understand the market and they didn't yeah. understand that the streaming situation wasn't going to be nearly as good. And the, their teams got cold feet, jump ship, took off, and man, what a what a debacle! Let's bring it back you to know, the market where you so, are. No, one, go ahead one, on the Pac twelve. Yeah, one, yeah, yeah on go. the Pac twelve. One thing that has has mystified me from the get go with the Pac twelve, the Big Twelve jumps ahead of them, negotiates their deal a year ahead, but it, the Big Twelve gets in there. If we add teams from another Power Five conference, we get the pro rata rate. We get this, you know, the they don't lose any money. If you were the Pac twelve. Think about where you are. The ACC, no one can leave. The SEC and the Big Ten, no one is leaving. If the Big 12 negotiates that into their contract, guys, you're the only one. And, and I don't know how the Pac-12 just so blithely kind of acted like they weren't going to be, at least be attempted to be poached when the Big 12 only had one place to go for Power 5 teams. And so you know, I think there's going to be, a, there, there are a lot of teams or a lot of people and situations and scenarios to blame for what happened with the Pac-12, but that just seems like the final blunder, not realizing the Big 12 loaded up to come get you. Yeah. And the, and the leadership, the lack of leadership and the, and the presidents deserve to also be blamed because this was being explained to them in real time. Yeah. And they turned down the offer, even without USC and UCLA, the offer was still $30 million a school. That's incredible uh, that they couldn't hold it together for that and turned it down. Hey, and so there you go. Along those same lines, and then we can move on from it, but you know, I don't know what Pac-12 presidents and chancellors were thinking or what Clay Apicol was maybe telling them, but this whole latest round of realignment really started. You had the USC-UCLA decision, but OU in Texas – proactively left the Big 12 because they went to Fox and ESPN for their media rights deal. And they said, basically, we'll give you the same. And that was with OU in Texas. And then they were like, well, we got to get out of here. We're going to the SEC. How the Pac-12 could look at this and say, we're going to get $50 million a year without USC and UCLA. <laughs> makes no, like no one would re, there was no no man in that group you know what i mean like no it's, one it's like it's like the house the modest house that i live in i may think i'm gonna get two million dollars for it i'm not getting two million i'm not getting a million for it i'm just telling you baby uh you gotta know you gotta know what your worth is you gotta yep. understand that in the marketplace i love this uh mark ennis with me for just a few more minutes he's got a scramble uh here from espn louisville let's bring it back in that market what uh, again, uh, your station rights holder, you're intertwined yeah. with the Louisville program. What is your read on what they believe about all this conference realignment? Uh, it's an interesting time. And again, you're involved with broadcasting the games, the shows, uh, everything around it, the shoulder programming, et cetera. What about, what about Louisville's thoughts right now, as much as you can tell, working in that market as long as you have? 
Yeah, I think Louisville uh, and the people that I've spoken with about this, uh, they realize, you know, that look, the, the Big Ten and the SEC, it would take a lot for one of them to be interested. Uh, and the, I think they've approached this as soon as these sort of rumors and that sort of thing started to, to percolate again. Uh, they, it's every man for themselves. And, and Louisville has done this in the past. Louisville was in Conference USA. They went to the Big East when the Big East got uh, yep. poached by the ACC. They were in the ACC. They fought to get in the Big 12. They got into the ACC. Uh, so Louisville's never really been locked in with like conference neighbors and that sort of thing. Uh, and so, look, if the ACC were to collapse, I think Louisville's viewing this like starting today, basically, we have to be auditioning every day. And I think a lot of times when you hear Jeff Brom talking about the pressure that comes because this is his hometown, that sort of thing, too, that's what they're talking about. They know they've got to be the best position they can possibly be. And that's what happens 10 years ago with the with the ACC when they were considering Louisville or or UConn Louisville was just in a lot better shape and the ACC was like yeah we're going to they they've got to get back into that kind of shape uh in the event that that people are looking again uh and you mentioned Jeff Brom who was obviously a star yeah. player there he's proven himself as a head coach at a couple of other places including Purdue just look into this situation i mean there's a there's an expectation that they should be better but does he get a little more leeway because he's got credibility built up and banked for having been a player there, having been a successful coach elsewhere in the Louisville market, which can, they can cut you down. They can cut you oh, to shreds. Yeah. Kenny Payne was getting clobbered yeah. last year for the first year with the basketball program being horrific. Yeah. Does, does Brom get a little more leeway because of what I just explained? Absolutely. Yeah. He knows, he know he gets us, you know, like he gets it here. Uh, and I like I think I think Scott Satterfield, the previous coach's record and and, and results were were solid to good, but everyone could tell he was trying to get out of here, and there was just always that sort of that disconnect uh, <laughs> with with him and to where even when they played well down the stretch last year, people didn't show up, and it, you could just tell. And you know what? All those people they were right because he left as soon as he could, uh, and that's that's not something anyone feels or senses about Jeff Brom at all. He gets it. You know, Jeff Brown doesn't have to ask for directions to to Southern High School or or to anywhere in Oldham County, you know, or any of that. So, like, he doesn't have to do any of that stuff. You know, and so I, I think the, you know, he's constantly out and about, kind of around here, uh, and just the connectivity that people feel. Yeah, you know, when when things aren't going well, coaches do themselves a disservice when they don't give people something to grasp about them until the results are good. Scott never did that. Uh, and Kenny Payne doesn't really do that, but Jeff does. And so, yes, I definitely think he will get uh, a lot more leeway with folks because people believe in him until the results get there. Uh, I still laugh about this. And, you know, we laugh, you and I, about many different things. And I laugh with people about oh, all sure. kinds of stuff. Well, one of the iconic memes is Bobby Petrino having been fired and Petrino, uh, again, divisive figure, et cetera. But he was fired and they were running the tape of his TV show with the crawl uh -huh. across the bottom that Bobby Petrino has been fired. All time Internet worthy stuff there on that because people were ready. I'm saying this. You lived it. People were ready for him to be gone. Yeah. And that and that's how that one worked. And and uh, and we will see uh, back, back to the basketball. Louisville basketball is such a a hot topic on your show, even nationally. Yep. It's Three hours That's all we did. That's all you because one of the prominent players, one of the prominent recruits, says he's not coming to Louisville. Does right. it have any hope that it's going to be better than what was, as I mentioned, a god awful, historically bad in recent memory season for Louisville for Kenny Payne? 
there is reason for optimism. They really did do a very good job turning the roster over. Eight new players now without Trenton Flowers. Eight new players in. Uh, highly rated recruiting class, even without Trenton Flowers. They did pretty well in the transfer market with Trey White from USC uh, and some others. Like, they did do a good job with that. But Trenton Flowers was viewed as kind of the highest ceiling kid. He is a reclass, projected kind of fringe lottery pick. You know, it was going to be a one and done. And I think the big thing for Kenny was Trenton was going to be like proof of concept. These are the kinds of recruits I'm going to get. I'm going to have them in the lottery next year, and it'll roll from here on out. And, and instead, he bails before the season even starts, and it kind of looks like, well, this is just more of last year right. than, than this year. Uh, I still yeah, There is still reason to be optimistic uh, about this roster, but he gave them, I think, the chance, like if he turned out to be – the best version of himself. They had a chance, I think, to dream kind of big. And now it just sort of seems like you, the best you could probably hope for is some incremental progress. But it's it's messy right now. It really is. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This guy deals with it all. The good, the bad, the messy. ESPN Louisville is the station. The drive is the afternoon show. Mark Ennis is always great to be with me. Uh, I got to get you a creamsicle shirt. Uh, the creamsicle game yes, is the Lions game in October. I don't know if we can get you down here for that, where they're going to have the cheerleaders in the swashbuckler orange and white outfits with we the long to. white boots. You remember with the orange and white pom-poms? That's going to be going on. The orange jerseys, the old school 70s and 80s Buccaneer jerseys are going to be back. And I hey. want you to at least get a taste of that, Mark Ennis, when it happens. That's Hey, that's a great game for them to have that for because Chamberlain High School graduate Brad Holmes is the GM of the Lions. He'll be back <laughs> Listen on to you, a Chamberlain chief from Tampa. I'm a plant panther <laughs> from Tampa, and I got two. I got my twins going to Steinbrenner. They're Steinbrenner Warriors, George M. Steinbrenner High School in Tampa. Well, it's all coming back to Tampa. Listen, you're always great to be with me. Thank you for talking some media, some fun, some football. Let's see what Jeff Brom and Louisville look like. They open with Georgia Tech. Uh, coming up. We'll see yep. how that looks uh, and all this. Mark Ennis, thank you for hanging with me on the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Anytime, buddy. Anytime. Love these opportunities and conversations, so let's roll along with a guy from Awful Announcing that I enjoy reading and corresponding with from time to time. And now here he is on the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Hello, Andrew Buckholtz from Awful Announcing, uh, giving me some time here on an August week when we're ramping up to the football, et cetera, but there's plenty of sports media news. First of all, thank you for doing this. How are things on your end? Hey, TJ, they're going well. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I appreciate your willingness to come on. So what, one of the topics that we're going to get to is something that you guys at Awful Announcing basically 
uh, put out there nationally for public consumption. Somebody else may have had this as a tip, but you guys went really in-depth on the Kevin Brown situation with the Baltimore Orioles and essentially his quiet benching, his quiet indefinite suspension that became not so quiet, Andrew, as you know. We'll get into that uh, in mm-hmm. a little bit. But while I have you here, I, I want to get your feelings because you do this all the time and you're in and around uh, Awful Announcing's website and you guys do fantastic work. What do you make just in general of all of the ESPN personnel changes, their announcement now of their new NBA finals broadcast team, which will be a new finals broadcast team for this NBA season for the first time in a decade and a half. Uh, What do you make just overall the personnel changes and maybe some specifics that have struck you and your, and your takes. Let's begin with that part. Go ahead. Yeah. So this is a, a larger thing that's going on with Disney. ESPN is obviously an important part of Disney in the reorganization earlier this year. It's been turned into a separate division in its own right, and it's affected by things that go on at Disney. And there's a lot of change underway there. Uh, Bob Iger has talked about finding strategic partners for ESPN. That could lead to a lot of changes. We've already seen one very major deal there with Penn Entertainment and the sports book they're launching. There's also discussion of maybe selling off some of the linear networks that could have a lot of implications for ESPN, even though it wouldn't be included, particularly with ABC and all the sports that ESPN puts on ABC. So there are a lot of wider cost cutting changes going on at Disney. When that comes to ESPN, they have this corporate mandated target of reducing a certain number of positions and certain amounts of salary. What happens there is that you see a lot of top people uh, that they decide to move on from. And there have been a ton of those in various various areas, uh, from Max Kellerman, Jeff Van Gundy, and a lot more. And Van Gundy is particularly notable on the NBA side. Because that uh, we see moves for a lot of different reasons, but it's really rare to see a move happen with a top broadcasting team like this. And to see it happen for at least what they're saying publicly is not really a performance-related thing. They're, they're saying that this is about the finances and about decisions to, to uh, change things up a little bit there. So what we're seeing is ESPN is still investing in certain personalities. They just paid a lot of money to bring in Pat McAfee. They invest a lot of money in Stephen A. Smith and all the things that he does for them. They feel that those personalities really have good audiences and draw audiences to ESPN. Then they invest in other top talents that they think are important to the other things they want to do. But where they're really pruning back, they're pruning back uh, some of the top salary people who they don't feel are as important. And then they're pruning back a lot of the middle range people. So it's looking like a version of ESPN where you will have a few stars and then a lot of people who are, are there at the real lower end of salaries compared to what we'd seen in the past. You brought up Van Gundy, and again, it's the most striking one. Uh, and and he and Mark Jackson, as a tandem, had been doing this for you know basically fifteen straight years with Mike Breen. Uh, from your reporting, from your own educated speculation, do you believe this is partially, if not even largely, motivated by an ESPN concern that Van Gundy was critical a lot of the times of the NBA, critical of the officiating? What else is new? Analysts criticize the officials. 
and they are trying to renew the rights for whatever deal they want, that maybe that was part, or maybe you believe it was even bigger than part of the motivation of making that move with him out completely, not not just out of the lead analyst chair. He's not even on the number two team. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a few things there, and the only people who really know the actual reasons are very deep inside ESPN. But from my reporting and from things I have read elsewhere and others reporting, that doesn't seem to be the primary factor here. That may have been a contributing factor. I think that there is um, some desire inside ESPN for some uh, a bit of a new look for their NBA, their top NBA team. I think that it's certainly not going to hurt them trying to negotiate with the NBA to have a top team that the league is it, it, is a little more pleased with. There has been good reporting out there of pushback from the NBA towards Van Gundy in particular and his comments on officiating. But I don't think that's enough. To, to make this move. I don't think that's a reason for this move. It just happens to be something that maybe was a bit of a factor. And I think the, the situation ESPN has wound up with is one that's going to be seen more favorably by the NBA. Doc Rivers was obviously an analyst. He's great on TV. He was an analyst with Al Michaels back now almost 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Do you believe that that, that will click uh, just look into the crystal ball. Do you think it'll click with Mike Breen? And obviously Doris Burke is there too, very experienced, been doing a lot of NBA. But do you believe the Doc Rivers thing, stepping out of coaching after not having done broadcasting for a long time, that that will click? I, my concern is less about Doc Rivers' ability to broadcast and more about what sort of chemistry we're going to see between these three people. I think Doc Rivers has an incredible resume. I think it, 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 it also speaks very well for him that he did have that broadcasting stint. So he's coming in with broadcasting experience, which a lot of people in the coaching world would not be. I think he did well on TV in his first stint, and I think he absolutely could do well again. And Doris, Doris Burke has proven time after time in a variety of roles that she's very talented and a very skilled NBA analyst who a lot of people like. What I'm really interested to see is how that that uh, team winds up working out and how they fit with Mike Breen. A three-man booth is a very difficult thing to pull off, and uh, ESPN and ABC did largely for a long time with the booth of Breen, Van Gundy, and Jackson. And that booth also got smoother over time as they worked together and developed more chemistry. So I think it'll it'll be really interesting to see how that goes in their first season together here. Great stuff here. Andrew Buckholtz with me, Awful Announcing. You follow him at Andrew Buckholtz on Twitter, and you can follow Awful Announcing for everything uh, sports media, not unlike what we try to do here at Last Word on Sports Media Podcast uh, with giving you some insight, and Andrew's giving me some great stuff. All right, a couple more on ESPN, then I promise we're moving on to the Kevin Brown stuff that you guys did such a great job on uh, last week, and Brown now reinstated as the Baltimore Orioles play-by-play guy because I think that's going to be a fascinating part for our audience to hear the dynamics of the reporting and all of that on that. Two more on the ESPN situation. Dan Lebetard, who departed and departed ESPN mm-hmm. at the right time, uh, able to keep his crew intact. In fact, one of the reasons he was open about this, one of the reasons he was looking mm-hmm. to leave was they were looking to cut his staff, by the way. And so he ended up uh, saving a couple of those staff members and said, we're just going to go out on our own. He worked out an exit. He worked out a deal. Lebertard's point was 
previously, maybe a month ago, love to have your feeling on this, that for the for the majority of sports fans, does this really matter? Who's the sports center anchor? Who's calling the game? Because when the games start up, college football, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball postseason, we're all still going to watch. What's your take on his take, Andrew? Well, I think he's right on some levels. I think he's right that, and particularly when it comes to live games, I don't think that announcers provide a huge swing in the viewership numbers. I think a lot of people who were going to watch, watch anyway. A lot of people who weren't going to watch, don't watch. The, it, it may make some movement at the margins. If there's, a, if there's an announcing team you really like, say you really like Kevin Harlan's calls of national NBA games, maybe you're a little more motivated to tune in for that, even if it's not teams you would typically watch. Gus, I Gus Johnson might be another one, missing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Gus Johnson certainly has been over the years. There have been a lot of people who tuned in specifically because of Gus Johnson. But where, where I think uh, th th that point falls short a little bit is that it may not change the, the viewership numbers, but it changes the conversation about the game, especially on Twitter or X or whatever it is called now. And this is why leagues are sensitive about their broadcasters. That's what we were just talking about with Jeff Van Gundy, that there is NB there was NBA pushback towards ESPN based on some of the things he said on there. The NFL has been really picky about their broadcaster over the years. In particular, the thing that really comes to mind is when NBC br uh, brought in Mike Tirico and they were hoping to have him call Thursday night games and have Al Michaels call the Sunday night games. And the NFL wouldn't allow that because they insisted that it be the top team calling the Thursday night games, which was really absurd to a lot of people given Mike Tirico's record of calling national games at that point. And, and it was absurd to see a league's post specifically dictate who it wanted on its coverage. But milder versions of that happened all the time. The leagues care about who is calling these games because if it's announcers people hate, all of a lot of the conversation on social media becomes very negative. And that's not what the leagues want to see. If it's announcers people really like, then the conversation is much more positive and that makes the leagues feel a lot better. So I think that is where the game broadcasters do matter. Uh, great stuff on that point. One more kind of breaking news item as we put the podcast out. It was announced by Sage Steele, uh, longtime Sports Center anchor and personality on ESPN, that she has reached a settlement to depart ESPN. That part, not unexpected. They obviously had been having problems uh, publicly. Uh, it was known they were having problems. Uh, she even put in her post, she will have the opportunity now to exercise her First Amendment rights, her words, elsewhere and leave ESPN after 16 years and thanked all of the, the personnel that had worked with her, especially behind the scenes at ESPN. What what do you make of that departure? And, I, and full disclosure, Andrew, I put this out here uh, before on this podcast and other places. I know her. She worked mm -hmm. in the Tampa Bay uh, market long before she ascended to ESPN. I've known Sage Steele going back to like the late nineties, early two thousands, like 25, 25 years. I have not spoken to her recently, genuine person, family person with kids. 
Um, okay, so there's my my. What do you make of this? What do you make of her departure and that whole mess that they have been in, and she's now worked out a settlement to leave? Yeah, I think in some ways the surprising thing is that it took this long to see this departure because it's been it has been a very strained relationship seemingly from the outside for the last number of years. She's been suing the company over over a debate about if they suspended her or not by taking her off air and by her losing some assignments. And it's extremely rare to see somebody still employed at a company suing them. You you often see that after the departure and in the fall. Uh, But, and even that wasn't the only tensions between Sage Steel and ESPN. We've reported on a lot of them over the years. And particularly over the last decade or so, uh, it's been clear that she doesn't see things uh, similarly to the way that uh, the corporate management really, really does. Whether you agree with her or with their stance, that that is up for debate. Uh, but it became pretty obvious that she was not feeling really happy with uh, some of the, some of the decisions they made, especially around the COVID ma- uh, vaccine mandate. She has not been really happy with some of the some of the things they have done in response to her comments, and so it makes sense to me for her to go out and find uh, find a new path and find something where she will be happier and more comfortable and able to exercise her First Amendment rights as she describes the way that she wants. And she certainly has a, a long and impressive career, and there will be lots of people interested in her. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, you make up a great point that uh, usually when there's civil suit or some kind of dispute like this, you're not still front facing out, in, uh, you know, on TV doing Sports Center, etc. She continued to do that, and uh, it, it's also it fascinates me as an employee. You're an employee the same way. Uh, what a, what employers do and what they try to do and what they try to get away with. I mean, so many times, like ESPN's response. To Sage Steele was we're not going to comment on anything other than uh, it has been resolved and we wish her well. Well, back mm-hmm. a few months ago, ESPN leaked it and put it out there that they had offered her a half million dollars to walk away. Mm-hmm. So the whole we don't comment on negotiations and personnel matters and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It didn't apply when in the employer's case, in this case, because they were wanting to to make it known they had offered her that they put it point blank out there. They announced it, that they were trying to make this go away. Uh, somehow I think she ended up more of that. Do you have a thought on that about the, the contentiousness of this? Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right there. The, we don't discuss personal matters and so on. That's, that's very front facing and official and selectively applicable. And <laughs> there, there are always, company perspectives whether they're on the record or not they get they get re, they get relayed often in ways they're not on the record but i think this is i feel that in this case though that probably makes sense for espn because it, it seems very likely sage steel is going to have a number of more things to say about them in the near future and i think that that's really a fight they benefit from airing out in public. I think it probably makes a lot of sense for them to just be, we appreciate her time. We wish her well. And you wonder, you bring up another valid point. uh, Is there some kind of a non-disparage part of the settlement where if she does that, she's jeopardizing her money? We don't know. Time will tell. 
on, on that phase. So we spent a little time on that. Let's move on to another thing with Andrew Buckholz before I get him out of here because he's gracious with his time from awful announcing. The Kevin Brown announcer situation with the Baltimore Orioles. We talked about that last week on this podcast. I think everybody that follows sports media, that follows Major League Baseball, basically heard something about this over the course of the last week and a half. Essentially, the short version, he, and this is important, he, along with the producer and the people with the broadcast on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, Masson, they went into a pregame conversation about how the Tampa Bay Rays, my Tampa, my Champa Bay Rays, Andrew Buckholz, had had a mastery in St. Petersburg in home games over the Baltimore Orioles in recent years, but that the Orioles had a chance to win the series with the Rays if they won the game coming up in just a few minutes. This was the part of the pregame selling of, of the game and, and why to watch and an interesting footnote. So Kevin Brown is taken off the air without really an announcement. And then it's it's suddenly learned a few days later, hey, he's essentially quietly suspended. So now pick it up because I, I began to read it first on awful announcing. So I guess let's begin at the beginning. When did you become aware? When did you guys become aware? This is a quiet suspension over this. And now you start to dig and find stuff out. Pick it up from there, Andrew. Yeah, so there had been a little online discussion about why Kevin Brown wasn't on the on the TV broadcasts. Uh, after that Tampa Bay series, he was not on TV where he normally is. He did do, work a series on radio, and then he completely vanished. There was some chatter in Orioles fan circles about that, and we saw a little bit of that. What really got us to dig a little deeper was a, a Twitter report from Matt Jurgensen, who has run some uh, Baltimore sports podcasts and websites. And he specifically reported that that Brown had been suspended indefinitely. Now it's notable that the Orioles dispute that it was a suspension, but we can discuss that. But um, he, and that it was about. Uh, John Angelos, who is uh, not only owner's son, but the guy who uh, he's the CEO, he really oversees the Orioles on a regular on a regular basis. And Matt reported that he was suspended over the particular comment of the Orioles have won more games against him this season than the last two combined. Well, that seemed like a bizarre thing, and it, it seemed even more bizarre once we at Awful Announcing, I worked on this story with my colleagues Ben Koo and Sean Keeley. Uh, we went and we tracked down the actual video clip, and we were our reaction to this at first was very was very much similar to the reaction after we published the story of that's it, that's what he got suspended for. But that prompted us to really do a lot of reporting, to reach out to multiple independent sources, and to confirm that yes, that that was what led Brown being taken off the air again. The, or the main thing the Orioles have to do here is that they say it's not suspension, but he did not appear on their broadcast for a number of weeks. And our reporting on this was then uh, repeated and confirmed by multiple other outlets. So there's a pretty, pretty good body of evidence at, the, at this point that those, those comments are why Brown was not on the air. Yes. And so uh, at, at that point, I'm just curious, were you trying and did you have success in contacting him or were you able just to verify it enough from those around him uh, that this is, in fact, what had gone on? 
Yeah, we, we did not talk to Kevin Brown personally. That would be a very difficult thing for him, obviously, while he still has this relationship with this team. Uh, we can't, I can't discuss our sourcing in any mm-hmm. great detail, but we do have talked to multiple independent people who have knowledge of what went on there. Yeah, no doubt about uh, the controversy. Did it surprise you how quickly and how immediately big-time prominent Major League Baseball broadcasters immediately that Monday evening after you had put that out there, I believe it was Monday, if not, it was Tuesday, correct me, the the evening you put it out there, a big-time broadcaster after big-time broadcaster brought it up in whatever context on their own. What do you make of that? What did you guys make of that? Yeah, I think that was that was really interesting to see. Uh, we've had some stories at all announcing for it. I've been there for over a decade at this point. We've had some stories that have gone on to make national news, but uh, including the Bishop Sycamore thing with the fake team a couple of years ago and many others. But what really stood out about this one was the way that those other MLB announcers weighed in. And I was, I was really surprised by... Um, not how vocal they were. I was surprised by how many of them weighed in. And these that's not an easy thing for these guys to say as well. I mean, most of them are team employees. They're doing this for the team. They're doing these little broadcasts for the team, not for a national network. And so it, it, there's, there's a difficult relationship there. But I think what stood out about that is how many of those announcers pointed out that their teams don't act this way and that the reports on what Brown was removed from the air for were, were, completely, were completely innocuous comments. Comments that any broadcaster, even employed by a team, should make and really should be making to point out the context for, for uh, viewers. And by the way, Baltimore Orioles PR employee put them in the game notes. They were in the game notes for mm-hmm. all the media to see that day in St. Petersburg. And that's part of what they were going off of on that mass and broadcast. Uh, so that, that leads to another uh, fascinating part of this. And I think, I think people love this um, it, when we're talking about the how and how things get investigated were you able to determine if the producer and or anybody else that was involved was also disciplined because Kevin Brown wasn't the only one involved? In other words, if he's just making a comment during the game, during the live play-by-play, mm-hmm. that can basically be explained as that's his own thinking, that's his own comment. If he's in trouble with that comment, it's because he brought it up. In this case, this was a planned thing with a producer, with a graphics person, with all of it. In your reporting, did you find or discover whether anybody else might have been disciplined because there was more than one person involved? Yeah, that's absolutely something that we we have tried to look into. That's a key question around this story. We have not really been able to find out anything there, and that's a lot harder because those people are not visible on there. So you can't tell if they're still working on particular broadcasts or not. Uh, good stuff. And again, Andrew Buckholz is with me for just a few more moments from Awful Announcing. So Kevin Brown is reinstated, not surprisingly. The old name them and shame them uh, works about 100% of the time, if not 99% of the time. So the Orioles were shamed enough by all of this to finally magically reinstate him. Interestingly, he put a statement out before he began to work the series this past weekend in Seattle. 
that some, and I understand this. I mean, Andrew, you know, uh, I, I work for an NFL team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. In these kind of situations, you are putting something out that protects not only you, it protects your employer, it protects the team. He's protecting his employer as well. So there were some that took that as he was forced to do this as a way to get back on the air. I know you guys put it on awful announcing on uh, on Monday that Michael K, the prominent Yankees television announcer, basically called it a hostage uh, like a hostage video. You were forced to do this. You were forced to read this. If you were going back on the air, what, what again is your response hearing that? Yeah, I think, uh, I think Michael K summed that up really well. And I appreciate Michael K for speaking out uh, on this and what he feels was going on there. I think Kevin Brown's statement makes sense as a way to get him back on the air. It makes sense as a way for the team to hopefully maybe resolve this a little bit. Uh, it's important to note, though, that that statement really does. There, it talks about mischaracterizations and so on. It really doesn't deny anything. It doesn't specifically refute any of our reporting or the athletics reporting or the reporting from multiple other outlets on this. So I think it, it's very important to keep in mind what that statement does not say as well as what it says. <laughs> and by and by the way, I can totally understand and identify because I've seen it over and over again um, throughout a 30 year career. If you want to continue to have your job, you have to do what your employer wants you to do to get back, as you just said, on the air. Now, how fascinating. He had a tremendous sequence, and I believe it was in the Saturday game. But, Andrew, correct me if you know it better, that it was the Sunday game with the Orioles and the Mariners where Cedric Mullins, the outfielder for the Orioles, made a phenomenal leaping catch in Seattle to rob a home run that would have tied the game in, in like the uh, the bottom of the eighth inning, um, if not the bottom of the ninth inning. And then Cedric Mullins turned around and hit a home run to give the Orioles the lead, and they were both phenomenal calls on television on the Masson Mid-Atlantic Sports Network by Kevin Brown. How about that as a as an addendum, as a follow-up to all of this? Yeah, absolutely. I think, it, I mean, I think when the Orioles are actually really, really good. Uh, that did happen on Sunday, the, Ced- the Cedric Mullen stuff, and it was, it was a very impressive call. And that also shouldn't be overlooked in this situation. Kevin Brown is a really good broadcaster, mm-hmm. and he has received a lot of support for not just who he is as a person, but who he is as a broadcaster from his colleagues across the industry. So I think it's great to see him back on these broadcasts with the Orioles being being exciting, being in, in this playoff contention here. And I think we're going to see a lot more of Kevin Brown in the future on Orioles broadcasts and beyond. Great stuff. Uh, great insight on all of this. I, I appreciate what you guys do at Awful Announcing. I appreciate you making time for me. Andrew Buckholtz on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Keep up the good work. We got the football season about to be here. Here goes all the craziness with that. No shortage of subject matter, as I like to say when we talk sports media, that's for sure. Andrew, thank you for the time here, my friend. Absolutely. So there we go with our guests and our remaining moment or two, a final comment or two from me, as always, uh, just uh, most prominently after talking with Andrew about the Kevin Brown uh, situation. Uh, Look, uh, I have been involved in these. Many other broadcasters have been involved in these. 
I said it last week, he did absolutely nothing wrong with pointing out that the Orioles are much better this year and had a chance to win that series. And the thin skin uh, son of the owner that's behind this should have been named and shamed. And he was, and, uh, and hopefully for Kevin Brown, it becomes less of a, of a story and more him calling the Orioles games of the season they're having. I still believe my Tampa Bay Rays will ultimately win that division. I'm partisan in that regard. Let's see what happens for the postseason as well. And you really wonder, will Kevin Brown stick there long-term or will he look to get another job and another situation with another major league team? Again, he does a lot of football and basketball on the college level for ESPN. Uh, so you wonder if he does ultimately want to stick it out with an organization that's already been willing to yank him off the air for doing something like that. And again, I think it is a fascinating point. What I was asking Andrew about was the producer disciplined as well, which we don't know uh, because the producer's just as much responsible for that being a topic in the pregame show and building the graphic, et cetera. It's not just the announcer. Again, that's an important distinction that it's one thing. If you're an announcer and I do this for a living, I call games for a living, TV, radio, have done it for the better part of a 30-year career. If you're making a comment on your own during a game broadcast, that's that's not something that was pre-arranged necessarily with the analyst that you're doing the game with, or analysts, three-person booth, or the producer of the broadcast. That's your comment. This was a pre-game segment to set up and sell the broadcast that the producer's in on, the graphics person is in on, and it was in the game notes. It was in the Baltimore Orioles PR notes for the team about the struggles uh, that they had had winning in St. Petersburg. And they won three out of four in that series. They've had a good year this year overall and against the Tampa Bay Rays head to head. Uh, so that that puts a, uh, a wrap on that part of the conversation. Back to the Sage Steele conversation that we were having uh, with Andrew. Again, I know her personally uh, and I, I can identify. Look, I mean, she was being hammered every which direction over COVID-19 stuff, hammered uh, previously for not being willing to defend out of hand Maria Taylor in the whole situation with Rachel Nichols and Nichols's comments about Maria Taylor taking her job on the NBA finals coverage. And, and because she wasn't as a black woman, as she, because she wasn't in somehow lockstep with what everybody else believed she was being vilified on social media uh every which direction for uh not being willing to go along with this stuff so she was outspoken and i agree with andrew eventually there was going to be a parting of the ways it's just it's fascinating that espn was trying to put stink on her that's the phrase i always use that she wasn't willing to agree. We've offered her a half million dollars to walk away. You know, we don't comment on personnel matters, except when it's in our interest to put the stink on somebody to try to get them to settle. Then, then we'll comment on a personnel matter uh, and, and put the actual figure out that we're offering and negotiate publicly. Uh, but in any event, she will probably end up somewhere else prominently. She may take some time off. She's got children. Again, she's been doing this for a long time at the local and national level and then reemerge uh, on some other coverage of something somewhere else. So um, there you go with that. And uh, with that, I'm about to depart uh, later this week and head to New York with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, they're practicing midweek with the New York Jets on Wednesday. So for the next episode of Hard Knocks, the training camp 24-7 story, not this week's episode, but next week's episode will be in and around the Jets and Buccaneers practicing and then playing Saturday night at MetLife Stadium. I'll be part of the radio broadcast with Gene Deckerhoff and Dave Moore on Buccaneers Radio. Uh, coming up for Saturday. So 
Lots to get to uh, with that and, and to see what, what what ends up on the cutting room floor. You know, they're, they're shooting video every which direction. Who ends up on what Buccaneer players? What do they do with the – I mean, primarily they're using the Jets broadcast and the TV broadcast anyway for the play-by-play that you're hearing. But I'll, I'll be fascinated and, and can give you some insight, I guess, next week when they, they air the episode of Hard Knocks on Max, what was HBO Max. When they air the episode next week that involves the Buccaneers and training camp as they follow the Jets all the way through and to the final cuts. So uh, there you go. There's the latest. We, we've we got football in the offing that's coming up here. College football in the NFL preseason going on. Baseball winding down. We t- we talked to you a little bit about the, uh, the announcing for the NBA uh, that's upcoming. How about Hubie Brown is still going to hang in there for another year. Hubie Brown is over 90 years old, is still doing games on TV. He's been involved with the NBA as a coach um, and a broadcaster for over 50 years now, over 40 years as a broadcaster, going back to the mid-1980s when he had been a coach. Amazing. Hubie's longevity, and he'll continue to work games. Uh, I believe I saw Mark Jones, Dave Pash will work games with him as part of the ESPN rollout of their announcers, and they'll release their schedule later this week. The national television schedules for Turner, ESPN, the full NBA schedule coming out later in the week. All right, there you go. Uh, Again, thanks to Mark Ennis back at the beginning of the podcast, uh, talking in in specific about the ACC. Does the ACC hang in, uh, et cetera? Find him uh, in Louisville on the drive, the ESPN afternoon sports radio show in the local market. Andrew Buckholz from Also Awful Announcing, also with me. Andrew and his colleagues, Ben Koo, that runs that site, they do a fantastic job at Awful Announcing. We appreciate him being on board as well. We thank you for finding me here as part of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Make sure you're following, subscribing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a rating and a review as well. For now, we are good uh, for this edition of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc